Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll discuss free agency. What exactly went down with Gordon Hayward? There's been a lot of talk, not a ton of truth. I'll provide that, plus my early impressions from training camp. And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Hi again, I'm Scott Agnes, and well, a new season is here, two months later than normal, right? Normally, we're discussing the season and getting things underway with the Pacers golf tournament, media day, and practices that last week of September, but everything was pushed back and the Pacers and other NBA teams getting things jump-started here early December, and by the end of this week, we'll already have preseason games, which is outrageous, but that's the current reality, right? They have to reset their clock, reset the schedule, get it back to normal times, and so for now, they've already, in fact, announced the first half of the schedule. That's 38 games, 19 at home, 19 away for the Pacers, and one five-game road trip, seven of their first nine at home, and then they'll figure out that second half a little later on. Right now is about Nate Bjorkren, his staff getting to know the players and other staff, as well as those players getting to know them. And so a lot of newness in terms of what's going on around the fieldhouse. I'll get into that, but first, want to put a bow on free agency. I didn't know this is probably about 10 days later than it should have been. Got a few things in the works that I think you guys should all be excited about and uh, clued in on here very soon as I'll continue on covering the Pacers and continuing this podcast that I started more than five years ago. And I remember when I first started covering the team in 2012, one of the first things I was pushing for was a podcast. The bosses back then didn't necessarily see it that way we held off but then in 2015 I finally said to the heck with this I'm getting going and ever since not only do I love podcasting but I've become a heavy consumer of them as well I think outside of watching live games I consume nothing more than I do of podcasts and of course at two times speed so I encourage you to give that a a chance as well. It gives you an opportunity to plow through podcasts and really consume them at a high rate. Back to free agency. First of all the Pacers were engaged in looking into Gordon Hayward for more than several weeks. Hayward informed the Celtics that he wanted to get home to Indiana. The Pacers knew for a week or two before free agency how interested Hayward and his family were to be here in Indianapolis, where he already had a home, where he looked to perhaps finish his NBA career and play in front of family, and those sorts of things. A lot of conveniences certainly come into a situation like that. But, of course, the ball was in the Celtics' hands. Without them, the Pacers couldn't get a deal done. They couldn't straight-up sign Gordon in free agency. And the first tell sign was when Gordon opted out. And that's how you knew right away he had bigger things in the store. And that, of course, was getting a long-term deal that provides long-term stability and very likely would come in a new home. There was media talk about Atlanta. Nope. 
There was media talk about New York. <laughs> no chance. Charlotte really wasn't discussed, but behind the scenes, by the Hayward camp, it was known. So Hayward's top preference was to get home to Indianapolis and play for the Pacers. He was ready for that. He had done his research. He had understood and had liked the direction the Pacers were heading. Another option for him was to simply re-sign with the Celtics. Four-year deal, more than $100 million. That's a great option to have, but you also have to understand their current circumstances and how other guys are featured and really how last year he was the fourth option despite having one of the most efficient seasons of his career. He would have brought uh, a position where the Pacers are a little bit weak out on the wing. He brings the versatility of being able to defend bigs, defend guys that currently uh, not best suited for, right? The LeBrons, the Giannis's, and he's not an excellent defender by any means, but he would be an upgrade in that department. He's an outstanding shooter, spot-up shooter. He's really good in the pick and roll. Just imagine him and Domas teaming up every single game. That could have been fun. And then in the back of his mind, there was Michael Jordan and the Charlotte Hornets. But first, there were conversations between the Pacers and the Celtics, but as it was told to me, by multiple sources and several different times, talks went absolutely nowhere. There was no hope after day one of free agency that they could hash something out, that they were just too far apart. And obviously, Miles Turner was central to any type of deal. The Celtics wanted another starter. That's mostly what it came down to. TJ Warren or Victor Oladipo. And Pacers have more leverage than the Celtics, first of all. And second, that just wouldn't make sense for the Pacers. That'd be giving up too much for a guy that could leave the Celtics and ultimately did for nothing. And on top of that, they'd be paying him probably more than $27 million when he's 34. So that's not something you're necessarily easy to consider. But when you're the Pacers and when you're the Charlotte Hornets, those small market teams, you have to overpay. And we saw that, for example, up in Milwaukee when they sent all the picks in the world, it seemed like, that they owned and other bodies to make contracts work. Down to New Orleans to get Drew Holiday, and I love Drew Holiday. Underrated player. Should be a multi-time all-star. But is he worth that haul to most teams? Not necessarily. To Milwaukee, to Indiana, to Charlotte, that's what it takes. So then by Friday night, Hayward got a call from Michael Jordan. Hey, what's going on? Where are you at in this process? We need an answer. Hold on, hold on, let's see. It gets to Saturday. Pacers, Celtics, talk again, getting nowhere. And I reported, you know, I think it was 11 o'clock that, hey, there hadn't been any ground cover here. If you're the Pacers, you probably would have done something like Miles Turner, Doug McDermott, and another player. Or one of the deals I mentioned was Doug McDermott with Turner along with Aaron Holiday. It's way more than they should have even had to give up for a guy that could leave in free agency, and ultimately Gordon Hayward called the bluff of Danny Ainge, and after a second call from MJ, the Charlotte Hornets raised their offer, and it got to the point where all you can do is say yes, and Hayward said yes to his agent, and they put the wheels in motion for that deal to be finalized, and so it was shortly afternoon on that Saturday. Danny Ainge got nothing. The Pacers didn't get anywhere, but they also didn't lose anything in that process, the Hornets did play ball with the Celtics, though. Instead of signing Hayward straight up, they did complete a sign-and-trade only because the Celtics included a couple second-round picks. So no, the Celtics did not get a trade exception because of Gordon Hayward. 
They got the trade exception because they sent two second-round picks to the Hornets. Let's get that straight. Hayward makes out beautifully with an average of $30 million per year. I think the Pacers and Celtics would have done 108 over four. That's about 27 annually. So he got a much better offer. But again, it was stressed to me several times. His preference was to be in Indiana. If the Pacers could have gotten a deal done with the Celtics, he would have done that. It wouldn't even got to the level where the Charlotte Hornets up their offer to a point where Hayward cannot refuse that. And so it was beautifully done by Hayward and his team to, to set this up. He was due to make $34 million this year, then become a free agent. Remember, next offseason, there's a number of very talented players who will be free agents. Now, some have already come off the board, like LeBron James. We're still waiting about Anthony Davis. We're still waiting about Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bam Adebayo's already signed a contract extension in Miami, so the field's getting slimmer. But more competition, whereas this free agency, Hayward was the most talented free agent on the market. And by signing this latest contract, it puts his career earnings over $270 million. Not bad for the kid from Brownsburg, and he'll be paid through the age of 34. As for the Pacers in free agency, other than Hayward, they immediately got a deal done with Justin Holiday. He was a priority, a major priority for the team, and Justin really didn't want to go anywhere. He really wanted that multi-year contract, something he's been after for several years, and something he's never had before, and now he gets it. A three-year deal at $18 million, and he's already 31 years old, so that's a, a good, reasonable deal, I think, for both sides, able to get that done, hash it out on the first night of free agency, and then the Pacers bringing back Jakar Sampson, signing free agent deals with Keelan Martin. Of course, you have the draft pick of Cassius Stanley, Rayshon Hammonds, and then the other move the Pacers did was move on from T.J. Leaf. They did acquire, yes, Jalen LeCue, but this deal was done, make no mistake about it, to move off of T.J. Leaf's contract because the Pacers were into the tax at this point. And it's not a super big deal like this very second because you have till next June to update your roster and be under that tax line. But for right now, before that trade with T.J. Leaf, the Pacers were over by a couple million because they owed him about $4.5 million for another year within his rookie contract. And honestly, he just didn't provide much, didn't show him much. He got some opportunities, not many great opportunities in fairness, but he also didn't earn them. He didn't show out in practice and play at the level that the Pacers had hoped for him to be a knockdown shooter, to be an active rebounder. And so ultimately the Pacers had to attach a 2027 second rounder to send him on his way. And they got Jalen LeCue in return. His contract's guaranteed for this season, not the next couple of years. So the Pacers could choose to waive him during camp. But first, they're going to see what he can do. Maybe he'd thrive or play better, certainly in this situation. He's a young guy. And with the additional signings, the Pacers entered camp at the 1st of December with a full roster of 20. That's the maximum allowed by NBA teams, you have your 15-man roster, then you have a couple two-ways, which Brian Bowen, he signed one of those, and Cassius Stanley signed to the other one, and then you have camp guys. So right now, Jalen LeCue is one of those camp guys along with Amita Brima, who was brought to the Pacers last year but tore an ACL in the fall, and then Nazmi Trulong brought back as well. See if he can prove a spot because 
there's a 15th roster spot up for grabs for one of these guys to potentially earn. So that's something we'll be tracking throughout the preseason. The Pacers have three preseason games beginning December 12th at Cleveland. They play them again a couple days later, then return home the following Friday and play what I call Pacers East, the Philadelphia 76ers. And no fans will be allowed in any of those games, but it will be cool. It will be special, I think, for us to see Dan Burke and Popeye Jones return for Peter Denwitty, executive. I'm sure he'll make that trip back here home where he grew up and where he got started in the NBA with the Pacers and worked for 14 years. So that'll be a cool moment. Then they'll, of course, play again later on. Then by December 23rd, they get after it. That's opening night for Indiana. Seven of their first nine games at home, opening night against the New York Knicks. And no, they don't play on Christmas Day. They never really do, at least not in my time covering the team. They do play that matinee New Year's Eve game. They don't play on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. They'll be traveling home from a five-game road trip out west. It's a really balanced schedule, I would say, to get started. Favorable, I think, to be at home for the first month of the season. It's evenly balanced home and road. And eight back-to-backs will be a challenge, but that's going to be a challenge for every single team This year, I asked Victor Oladipo recently, has he decided or or figured out, will he play in back-to-back, something he has not done since his injury almost, what would it be, 23 months ago? And no, that has not been decided yet, and that's understandable because he needs to just see how his body reacts and responds through camp, through a preseason, but I would surely expect for him to do so. He's not at the point where he he should turn down additional games. Remember, he's in a contract year. And that's another elephant in the room here. Because Victor did not say any of the right things he should have. He did deny some of the things that were out there. But he didn't make his preference known. He didn't say, look, I love Indiana. I love playing here. I don't know what will go down with my next contract. It could go a variety of ways. But if I have it my way... I would like to continue playing here because I like the things that the team is doing and is committed to. Part of that is leverage, right? You don't want to sound too happy, but on the other end of that, look around the league. Some of the top guys in the league with their teams are saying all those things, and they're being rewarded with contract extensions. And like the Pacers, teams around the league will be watching to see his level of play, what he looks like. What's his conditioning level? Does he have that quick step, that jolt? What's his shot looking like? So those are, again, among the things we'll be paying attention to throughout the preseason. I know I've mentioned it before, but it's just disappointing, too, on it. talking about the season is that Indy's All-Star game now has been officially pushed back, and it's pushed back three years all the way to 2024. I currently live downtown. I'm not sure I will be living downtown by then, but it would be really fun to do so during that stretch. We don't know what the all-star break will look like this year. Maybe it's virtual. Maybe it's simply just a break because they need time in their schedule. But there probably won't be a game. They will get a break, though, there in early March after 36, 37, 38 games, depending on the count for individual teams. Indy jumped to the back of the line behind Cleveland, behind Salt Lake City, but are still getting an all-star weekend. They're just having to wait to 2024. Pacers have had five training camp practices as of this recording. They are taking Wednesday off, their first off day under Nate Bjorkren. And the big telling point for me after the first eh, week or so of camp combining individual drills and team drills is first of all health. The team seems to be very healthy at this point. Jeremy Lamb is only able to do one-on-one. 
But that's a really good sign. He's hopeful to be able to play and perhaps even play in games next month in January, the first true month of the season. Domanis Sabonis right now does not have any limitations with the plantar fasciitis in his foot. He's practicing. They are monitoring him, but right now does not have any limitations. That's the same thing for Victor Oladipo. He's very healthy. He now continues to be asked about his health. He's been completely healthy for quite a while now. They're just, again, monitoring his knee. He's never had any setbacks from what I've been told and had an impressive last month or so ramping up to training camp. He was, again, of course, down in Miami. Corey Joseph even joined him for a little bit. He doesn't have a contract right now. Last played for Sacramento, I believe. But Corey Joseph was down there training with him and is really confident in his shot, Victor is. And the best thing that I've seen from him in our two interviews over the last week is that joy. I wrote about this several months ago, but he was missing a joy to him, a joy to his game. Um, not very open with his answers, and that's not like him. He's usually playful and enjoyable and has as much fun giving other guys a hard time, giving media a hard time. He hadn't used his feathery or said, this is my city, or been really singing from what I've seen. And those are all telltale signs of, I think, himself, his mood, and what he is about right now. But we've started to see some of that here recently, and that's an encouraging sign. Maybe Nate Bjorkren, the Pacers' new head coach, has kind of pulled that out of him and drawn some fun because I asked Doug McDermott last week as a son of a coach and who's played for a number of different coaches in the league, what stands out to you about camp? What is it like under Bjorkren and his staff? And the first thing he said is, hey, we're having fun. This is the most fun I've had in a training camp, and that says a lot because – None of these guys like going to camp. None of the staffers really like camp. It's a hard time. It's when there's a lot of conditioning. And under Nate, this Nate, (laughs) that's going to be an ongoing joke, isn't it? Under this Nate, there's an incredible pace to what they want to do and how they operate practices. There's also music constantly in the background, and that reminds me of what the Golden State Warriors do under Steve Kerr. It keeps the energy up. It keeps the attitudes up. It brings an element of life to practice and also if you consider the fact that during games there's music and background noise so that kind of replicates that a little bit they spent the first several days of training camp on defense Bjorkren said 95 percent on defense and I think that's generally pretty standard to focus and lock in on that because offensively at worst you can roll out a ball and guys will know what to do they all kind of have similar sets but then here to start this week, they've turned more of their attention to the offensive end. And, and what it's about there is tons of movement, getting everybody involved. He doesn't want players off the ball to just be standing or on, on George Hill Island, like I often joke. A lot of options offensively. Um, Victor was talking about how they have a lot of different reads, a lot of counters, and they even did some 5-on-0 work and ran some sets, and they really enjoyed that from talking to several players here the last couple of days. Nobody has been really singled out by anyone. That's one thing us in the media like to hear, especially right now, because the negative sign of all this, because you fans are asking and we want to know, is we truly in the media can't make observations. We're not there. We can't visually see how Victor looks or how Domas is moving around the basket. We are sent short clips to to use, to view, but it's hard to make any kind of grand conclusions from those or or see 
do players respect Nate or how do they listen to him during practice? Those are the number of things that I jot down in my notebook while I'm there on the sidelines at the St. Vincent Center in years past. But we cannot do that. So you can hold your questions in terms of who looks good in camp or what should I look forward to or what is X player doing or improved upon because I can't make any grand conclusions when it comes to that. But we will soon because of preseason games, and then we'll get on with the NBA schedule. And if it's not a back-to-back, the Pacers are basically playing every other day. So you can get used to that. And as always, I did my full comprehensive breakdown of the schedule. So head to fieldhousefiles.com where you can learn what days of the week do you want to plan to have free. What days of the week do you need to have marked off because there's a ton of Pacer games. How many back-to-backs and are they favorable? I'll give you a hint. They're not. The majority of them are actually road-road, and that's not what you want. They only have one through the first half of their schedule where they're playing both games at home, and that will be a fun stretch because those two games are against the Tampa Raptors. Yeah, the Raptors have moved to Tampa temporarily to do and play this season, and that will be a fun storyline because that's the system most immediately that Nate Bjorken came from. Nick Nurse, their head coach, is a friend, a mentor of Nate, and they'll play there on on back-to-back games. And on top of that, a lot of players singled out the Raptors of the type of style that they seem to be playing with or trying to work towards. So that's another reason those two games should be interesting. Another thing to note is the Pacers, and specifically Nate Bjorken, rounding out his staff. Bill Baino's the only holdover outside of PR and the medical group. They got rid of the video guys. They got rid of the basketball development guys. Oh, and I should mention Tom Hankins, KP's guy, who remains intact as an assistant player development coach. But Nate Bjorkren bringing in Greg Foster and Caleb Canales. We already knew about those two. And along with Bill Baino, that's the front of his bench. Then they have two player development coaches, Calvert Chaney. You all know about him, and he remains the top scorer all-time in the Big Ten playing at IU, and then Tyler Marsh, who I'm a little bit familiar with because he spent time with the Mad Ants and a number of teams as well, though, throughout the D-League, and that's where you'll see these next group uh, of coaches. They all have some sort of tie or previous connection with Bjorkman, and that's what you expect when you finally get that top job. You want to bring those guys with you who were there with you at the bottom and worked your way up and who you can trust. And to use Bjorkman's illustration, they were in the basement of Nick Nurse just pounding away at the whiteboard discussing this time and what they would do. And so I know Nate is very excited and is grabbing things from his D-League teams and grabbing things from the Toronto Raptors and other NBA teams. And those are the type of play calls and sets and movements that he's trying to instill within the Pacers. Outside of Cheney and Marsh, they have a new video coordinator who also has player development in his title, Dylan DeBusk. Then they hired three for mostly video, but also to help with player development, rebounding, scrimmaging, those sorts of things. Maurice Baker, Earl Barron, and Moses Iambi. I hope I said that correctly. I haven't seen a pronunciation guide or talked to any of them just yet. And those are the other guys that I love seeing how they interact with players, who they work with, because oftentimes they're assigned to different players. And that's one thing Coach Bjorken wants to do differently, plans to do differently. He doesn't want just a defensive coordinator or just a big man coach. He wants interchangeable parts. He wants versatility. That's what he preaches. And he said that's what he hired to. So a coach that worked with maybe, let's say, Malcolm to start the season, 
might work more so with Victor Oladipo a couple months in. They might change. It's a different voice, a different background. I like the idea, but there's also something (laughs) that I think about, routine, comfort, um, and you get in that routine with your guy. For instance, Victor worked a lot with Bill Baino. So did Demonis Sabonis. Miles Turner worked with Popeye Jones in the past. They'll figure those things out. They'll all be doing scouting work. They'll all be working on the court. And I'm interested in not only seeing them work, but writing about it here down the road. One other interesting thing I want to mention on this podcast, and I'll get into it more on a future episode, hopefully with a guest, is changes to Banker's Life Fieldhouse. You'll see it in a previous story on Fieldhouse Files, or maybe you saw it in a tweet. An updated photo of what the Fieldhouse Lower Bowl looks like. Significant changes were made in the Lower Bowl, The green seats are now gray. There's a new $4 million scoreboard. There's a specific new ribbon board only for statistics. It won't be covered up with ads or various other things during games or during timeouts. So you'll always have access to that. And I think that's important, number one, for fans who want that updated info, but also when you consider fantasy and gambling, you want those updates. And in previous years, that stuff was covered up or not on the screen, I should say, during free throws or during timeouts. So that's key. And then there's a number of new entry and exit points on that lower bowl, more tunnels to go through. Usually there were just those three, right? There was the one where the visitors came out of, the one where the Pacers came out of, and the other one where halftime acts and the pacemates sat and those sorts of things. Well, there's several more on each side, and those will lead to entertainment areas. As again, we're seeing, I think, around the country, um, they want to create more of a bar-like atmosphere and entertainment option rather than just coming in and sitting down on your seats. This will allow people to come and go, to go back and maybe host a group, those sorts of things. I'll be curious to get firsthand accounts of those and be able to take pictures and share those with you hopefully later this month. Quite honestly, I've been requesting it for several months and just waiting on Pacer Sports and Entertainment to help make that happen because these are huge upgrades. They're being paid by the Capital Improvement Board, which is directly impacted by taxes, by visitors, those sorts of things. So fans, not only are fans are going to be attending games, but your tax dollars are going to this. So you should be able to see what changes are being made and what it looks like. And the other thing that I noticed was on the north end. So maybe if you know where I sit, above kind of row 20, I want to say at those tables, just above that lower area, they added more suites right there just below us. So normally the suites came to the corners and then didn't wrap around. Well, guess what? They're going to wrap around. So again, those are more entertainment areas, more suites, more higher price seats to sell for the Pacers. And again, I look forward to checking those out. It's an exciting time in the NBA. Feels weird that the NBA season hasn't yet started, but we're all making do with these unusual times. And I'm curious, quite honestly, to see how the NBA season plays out because they're not doing the bubble environment. They're at their own homes. They're around family. They're around some friends. Maybe they're going to the grocery or picking up dinner. So there's going to be positive tests, but how many? Does it wipe away a game or two for a team? Does it wipe away a week or two? What does it look like? And honestly, as well prepared as teams in the league are, they're going to be working on their feet, much like we've seen here recently with the Big Ten Football Conference and other conferences to get college football and even college basketball. There was supposed to be a game this past week in Gonzaga, Baylor number one versus number two at Bankers Life Fieldhouse canceled because of positive COVID-19 tests. And that was unfortunate. 
because it was here, number one, and secondly, because it was the top two ranked teams in the country. That's something any basketball fan would want to see. All right, that will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files. Help me out. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can listen to both new archived episodes on whichever podcast platform you prefer, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. You'll also want to be locked into fieldhousefiles.com. That's where I'm writing often about the Pacers, about camp. And if you're signed up there, you'll get an email with the story immediately delivered to your inbox the minute I hit publish. So there's no need even for those of you who aren't on Twitter, don't spend a lot of time on there and want to stay up to date on what you missed during the day, after games, and much more. I look forward to another Pacer season here. Believe it or not, it's season nine for me on the beat. And I'm the longest tenured writer on the beat. During these Zoom calls, there's only a couple of us. It's kind of sad, but that's because a lot of the TV is devoting their time to the Colts. All Pacers, all the time, from me, this feed, and FieldhouseFiles.com. Stay tuned. Another episode coming up soon. I'll talk to you then. 